Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And away we go. Welcome one and all to the program. To the broadcast, The Conspiracy Show, coming to you live from the friendly confines of 550 Queen Street here, the flagship station of my fledgling little network. Uh, we now have uh, the flagship station, by the way, being Zoomer Radio, the all-new AM740. And uh, last week, did I mention this? We had three new affiliates. Let me welcome them again, just for those of you who weren't paying attention. Uh, three uh, new stations joining The Conspiracy Show from uh, the Empire State, New York. We have WBNR AM 1260 in Beacon, New York. I like to think of this show as kind of a beacon, a beacon of truth, a beacon of light. Uh, Kingston, New York, uh, is WGHQ AM 920. And Peak Skill, New York, Peak Skill, P-E-E-K-S-K-I-L-L, Peak Skill, New York, WLNA AM 1420. Welcome one and all. Glad to have you aboard. And those uh, three stations are part of um, uh, a, gr- a radio group called Hudson Valley Radio. So, as I said, we've got Hudson Valley covered pretty well. And um, hoping for more. Hoping for more stations to sign up to the uh, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. That would be me. How are you? We have, uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to speak to a gentleman who's a directed or is a um, man behind a, a new film, a feature film entitled The Conspiracy. How appropriate to be talking about that film on this show, right? Well, it's, it's a, well, it uses a strong blend of fiction, uh, and allegory to explore the, uh, the issue of what he calls illusory democracy, which kind of blends in with what we'll be talking a little bit later this hour. Uh, when we welcome back to the program, I like this guy a lot. Uh, he's a rogue investigative uh, journalist by the name of Greg Pallast. And if you've been following the presidential election down in the excited United States, the excited states of America, as they say, uh, you might as well stop watching because according to Greg, it's already been decided. He's got a new book out. It's actually kind of a comic book. This, this is what it's come to, right? This is how you have to get the information to the masses in comic book form. But he's done a great job. And it's called Billionaires and Ballot Bandits. How to Steal an Election in Nine Easy Steps. And he's going to talk about uh, Karl Rove and uh, their billionaire buddies and a massive vote tampering scheme. Uh, that um, essentially has seen as many as about 5 million Americans denied the right to vote. Legitimate votes, plus uh, that were tossed out, for example, in 2008, just tossed out for no reason, and then many other uh, voters denied the right to vote. How does that happen? In the land of the free. We'll find out when Greg Pallast uh, joins us a little bit later in this hour. Billionaires and ballot bandits. How to steal an election in nine easy steps. And he, he, he'll uh, tell us or explain um, how the election is going to be stolen for the Republicans. 
they're not the Republicans anymore, really. They've been infiltrated by the like, the neocon globalists, I guess, masquerading as conservatives. Uh, but if you, I mean, if you look at the the, the polls and so, uh, to me, to me, it's Barack Obama has this thing running away, walking away. But Greg Palast will disabuse us of that, perhaps, uh, when he comes on at the bottom of the hour. Uh, first up, though, there is a um, a film festival in Austin, Texas. It's called the Fantastic Film Festival, and uh, it um, I think it kicked off on um, on Friday. And one of the films debuting at the Fantastic Film Festival is called The Conspiracy. And one of the people behind that film joins me on the line from the great city of Austin, Texas, to explain more about the film. Christopher McBride, how are you? I'm good, Richard. Thanks uh, very much for having me on. I saw the trailer. In fact, people can uh, can uh, log on to uh, my website here, uh, richardserrett.com, and... Uh, just click on watch trailer under tonight's show and first of all congratulations it's it's a it's a nice piece of uh um the filmmaking i mean it it grabbed me in that uh, i don't know 3 minute trailer tell us a little bit about the film it's a, it's a, it's fiction but it's as you say it's it's also allegory to to uh, to explain what you feel is really going on in the world but but just give us sort of a a a brief synopsis of the film if you could chris yeah absolutely it's um it's a, a, a film about uh, two documentary filmmakers who um, they start a documentary about um, conspiracy theorists, quote unquote conspiracy theorists, and uh, they're two very skeptical guys. They don't really believe this stuff at first, and uh, and then one of the conspiracy theorists that they're profiling vanishes without a trace, and so then they start wondering. Well, maybe he was onto something. Maybe this, you know, wasn't just paranoia. Maybe he uh, had some uh, actual truths he was finding out. So they start looking into his work, and then they start figuring out that he actually did uh, was uncovering some uh, some pretty scary stuff about secret societies and uh, and things like that. And it's uh, the whole story. You're right; it is fiction. But I, what I've done with it is I've actually intertwined actual. Um, uh, uh, issues that are, that are very real, like the, um, uh, you know, everybody's questions about, uh, the truth about September 11th and, uh, the influence of, uh, societies like the Bohemian Grove and the Bilderberg Group and things like that. So basically a lot of issues that don't really get discussed out in the open in the, uh, in the mainstream so much. Um, uh, and so that, that, uh, is, is something very interesting to me about the film that, uh, it has the the possibility, at least, of getting into the mainstream and and really getting out there and and being covered by many journalists and and being in theaters and and people seeing it who would never normally know anything about this stuff. So, um, even though it is it is a fiction with real stuff intertwined, the real stuff that's intertwined is stuff that uh, I think was new to a lot of people and uh, will be uh, a little shocking to them as well. Well, I, I think that's a very wise uh, move on on your part. First of all, are you the you're the, one of the producers? I, I'm the writer and the director. Writer and director. Okay. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the the, uh, the producer or uh, who else is behind this film? Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm based in Toronto, and um, uh, the the producers are based in Toronto. They're all uh, they're independent uh, producers, uh, um, and uh, we uh, I wrote the script. Uh, I gave it to them. Um, 
they loved it. Uh, one of them was familiar with things like your show and, and, and um, quote-unquote conspiracy culture, as I, I obviously was. The other producer knew nothing about this stuff, and it just blew his mind. He, he knew nothing about you know, things like the questions around Building 7 and um, all that kind of stuff. So he was really, really intrigued by it. And he he didn't know, he, he asked me, did you make this stuff up? And I said, no, no, this is something very much discussed by many people. And people have really interesting, intriguing questions about this stuff. And I think it's uh, it's something we could bring to the wider uh, sort of uh, mainstream. Uh, and, uh, and he just thought that was amazing. And so then we took it to... Um, uh, Telefilm Canada, who is a big sort of um, uh, uh, so, sort of like an American studio that funds Canadian films, and to be honest, I kept expecting to get this shut down. I kept expecting someone to slam the door in my face and say, you know, you can't you can't make a movie like this and put it in movie theaters, you know. But uh, it 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 just simply hasn't happened yet. We had a, a little bit of. Uh, uh, pushback here and there about certain uh, naming certain people specifically that we were told you know you can't do that but uh, but generally they um, uh, I've been able to sort of slip it under the radar so far so we'll see what happens once it, it just premiered this weekend in Austin and hopefully will be released much wider after that and uh, uh, yeah we'll see how people react if it uh, I'm sure it will make some people very angry and um, and others will love it but uh, it'll be interesting Christopher McBride the writer-director of a, uh, a new feature film called The Conspiracy uh, a Toronto-based uh, filmmaker and the film is uh, has debuted at the fantastic film festival in Austin Texas uh, this weekend now uh, first of all I think you made a wise decision in fictionalizing this because um, I think it was. Uh, I think Marshall McLuhan, the great media uh, media scientist, said that we 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 lie to each other through television, but we tell each other the truth through film. And uh, with a fictionalized version, it is more uh, palatable to people. It's um, and it, and it is. You're right. If if you if you if you present it as documentary, you are setting yourself up to be attacked, really, and shut mm-hmm. down. But if it's fictionalized. Even you can you can sort of uh, I guess uh, not disguise, but you can you can place these little nuggets, these little bombs, information bombs in there, uh, presented as fiction. But again, because it's allegory, I mean that that has always been throughout history one of the most. Uh, I mean, you think of, of, of great writers like Jonathan Swift and and and, and others. Uh, the use of allegory to explain what is really going on in the world. Um, but disguised as fiction. It's a very powerful tool. So first of all, kudos of you for presenting it in that way. And again, the trailer looks a very, it looks like a very compelling film. This individual that played the conspiracy theorist, the, you know, he, he looks like the sort of the stereotypical, um, ranting and, and raving lunatic that, uh, that, you know, or, or a mad prophet that no one but maybe a scarce few take seriously. We see, we see him in the film sort of wandering in the streets with a megaphone and a sandwich board trying desperately to get people to pay attention to him. And this is the fellow that disappears, correct? Yes, that's right. And uh, and you're right. He 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 appears as the, the most stereotypical, uh, as you say, mad prophet, conspiracy theorist, uh, quote-unquote crackpot, and at the beginning of the film. And part, part of... Part of the reason for that is that um, uh, I, I, I knew a lot of people watching the film would not know 
that uh, would not agree with many of these things, would not agree with this information, and would not be would not believe any of it. Um, so I, I sort of had to start from a position of, okay, um, I know this is the way you see these views. I know most people see these views as outlandish and unfounded. Um, so I, the main characters in the film start out that way. They see him as this crazy person on the street. They see him as someone who's sort of comical. And the evolution over the film is that they slowly stop looking at the surface of how he appears to the public and start really um, listening to him and actually listening to what he's saying and looking at his research. And so um, it was really important for me to make him appear in the character's eyes as um, as a bit of a loon in the beginning, and then that's part of the sort of journey of the film is that you realize, you know what, maybe the person yelling on the street actually might have something to what they're saying. And you, you do talk about the influence of secret societies such as uh, Bohemian Grove and the Bilderberg Group, and uh, I, I think you, you also have created this fictitious group that we can talk a little bit about when we come back. Uh, Tarsus, is that the name of it? That's correct, Okay. Yes. Christopher McBride, Toronto filmmaker. The feature film is The Conspiracy, debuted this past weekend at uh, a film festival in Austin, Texas, and we'll tell you more on the other side. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Toronto-based writer, director, filmmaker Christopher McBride is uh, joining us on the line from Austin, Texas, where his uh, new film, The Conspiracy, uh, a fictionalized uh, a version of the world as, as he knows it, and some of us suspect uh, it might be, and uh, uh, but uh, using a very powerful tool of allegory to, uh, again, explore the issue of what he calls illusory democracy. And, uh, Chris, uh, we were talking about... Um, in the film, you, you, you discuss some of these secret societies, the Bohemian Grove and the Bilderbergs, which we've discussed recently on this program. Um, but you also talk about another group. This is, a, this is one of those fictionalized uh, uh, groups, and that's, it's called Tarsus. Uh, tell me about Tarsus. Well, the, the Tarsus Club is, is basically um, something completely out of my imagination. It's something. It's a fictional secret society that I've made up, but where I drew the inspiration for this was very much from... I would say sort of a combination of the Bohemian Grove and the Bilderberg group. And um, there's a scene in the film where the main characters uh, actually infiltrate one of the secret meetings with hidden cameras. And um, some of the rituals that they uh, tape with these hidden cameras are very, very close to some of the actual things that I'm, I'm sure you and lots of your listeners know do actually go on in the world. Um, and so it's, it's really, um, like, like you said earlier, you know, allegory is a really strong tool and sometimes it's, uh, it's a way to have people open their minds to ideas that they normally may not be open to. And as long as you tell them it's a story, which it is in the end, um, you know, then they're willing to go different places with you. And so, you know, I hope in some small way when people see this movie, and even though they're, it's, uh, it's a fictional sort of organization, it's very much tied in with the real things that go on that the vast majority of people have their, their eyes closed to. And, uh, and I think that a lot of people will do their own research and figure out sort of the truth behind the fiction after they, they see the film. As a filmmaker, did you get into filmmaking because you wanted to make this movie specifically? In other words, you believe that the world is run in a certain way. 
and so you wanted to get that message out to people, or are you simply a filmmaker and this was a good yarn, this was a good story that you also wanted to, wanted to tell? That's a great question. Yeah, no, I, to be honest, I, I, I was, I'm a filmmaker first and foremost. I, uh, for years and years, I, I actually, um, uh, I didn't believe uh, a lot of this stuff, a lot about the influence of secret societies and things like this. Uh, uh, I had a friend of mine, Mike, uh, actually was a, a, a very, um, a big believer in this stuff, and he was always telling me, you need to watch Loose Change, you need to watch Zeitgeist, you need to, you know, look at this stuff, it's fascinating. And when I finally did start looking at it, I just, I, you know, my, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, you know. I have doubts. I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally a skeptical person. You have to be. Sometimes it's you a have to be. advocate. And, yes. But, um, but that sort of got me fascinated with all of this stuff. And I, the thing that fascinated me the most was that, um, it's so uh, rarely spoken about in the mainstream media. More than anything else, that really intrigued me, and I wondered why that was. So first and foremost, I just wanted to tell a good story. I'm not a political activist or uh, anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, um, but I thought this was a really intriguing story that had not been told, and, um, and these are intriguing ideas that are, that are very serious and are going on in the world that, uh, that aren't being talked about, and that's sort of what every filmmaker searches for is is something new that the um, that the public hasn't been exposed to and then uh, and, and working on the screenplay and writing it and researching it did that change your worldview you, you went into this as a skeptic I'm not sure to what extent you were uh, a hardened skeptic but how did you come out of this process were you did you have an entirely different view of this strange planet yeah, I mean, I, it definitely changed my uh, world view. I mean, I, I had never heard of things like the Bohemian Grove beforehand. Um, so um, certainly, yeah, I, I, I look at the world in a little bit of a different way now, and uh, and I realize that, uh, you know, just because something is on CNN does not make it necessarily true, um, you know, as just as a small example. But uh I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing I've taken out of this whole experience of writing the screenplay and directing this film is that, you know, the term conspiracy theory is a is a very broad uh, umbrella term that gets just applied to so so many different things, and it's not always fair to lump in uh, smart, well-educated, well-meaning people who have serious questions to lump them in with every um, extravagant theory that's out there, but people like to do that. They like to paint it all with the same brush. And I think, uh, you know, th- there are some uh, what people would call conspiracy theories that I, I don't necessarily agree with, that I think are um, a little outlandish and there's not data to back them up. But I think there are others that are very on the mark and um, just very intriguing. And, and I think the bottom line is uh, society needs people to be asking questions. And it's unfair that conspiracy theorists get shut down and called, you know, tinfoil hats and all that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it, you need to have people asking questions in a society, and that's what I took away most from this experience. The, the term conspiracy theory now has been utilized as a, as a method of ending an argument or ending discussion, mm-hmm. uh, so that if you offer up a differing view that doesn't fit comfortably into someone else's worldview, then whatever it is you've said, is labeled as a conspiracy theory. It's gotten to the to the point where it's, it's become absurd. Um, I mean, I, I, I like to think that one of the missions of this program is to take that term back. Uh, the word conspiracy. A conspiracy theorist is what we used to call investigative journalists, but they don't exist anymore. We now have uh, pundits disguised as journalists 
uh, parading uh, on, on television uh, and then throwing out that term when someone says, ah, but what about this? Uh, well, you weren't supposed to point there. Look over here. Look at this shiny object. Look, look, folks, here comes Honey Boo Boo. Have you seen that new show? Let's watch that. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a it's become a um, um, a pejorative term. And so, um, again, I, I think you've shown, you know, great courage in going out and making a film about this. How was it, how was it received this weekend, uh, the conspiracy? How was it uh, received at the film festival in Austin? It, it's been received unbelievably well. Uh, I, this, this, the, they had to actually add extra screenings at the film festival because there was such high demand. Um, and uh, word of mouth has been sort of spreading through the festival um, a lot of buzz, a lot of people very excited about it, and I, I've just been, uh, you know, cornered at every uh, turn by people coming up to me and telling me how much they loved it, and 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 many different types of people. Some people who, um, you know, might be someone who would be a typical listener of your show, who um, you know very much believe these things already, and and just sort of thanked me and said, "This is so amazing to see this." Um, in a in a sort of a more mainstream sort of story, like this is uh, really interesting. And other people who knew nothing about it, who are just questioning me and like, how much did you make up? Like, how much is real? And um, you know, and I encourage them to do their own research because I'm I'm no expert. I just did my research, and uh, but I but I think that's good. Those are those are minds that are open to other possibilities mm-hmm. now, and uh, it's it's been really well received. People, I would say. Ninety percent uh, absolutely love it passionately, and there's maybe a ten percent who um, it's hitting buttons that they don't like to be hit, and um, uh, are, are are really sort of uh, reacting violently to it. And because they, a lot of people don't want to hear stuff like this. They they have a preconceived notion, like you said, the term conspiracy theorist is used as a weapon to end an argument and to put a label on um, a very broad set of ideas. Uh, you're saying it's been violently opposed. You mean uh, I'm, I'm, you're, I'm, I'm guessing you mean verbal violence, oh, verbally, vitriol, verbally, and, yes. and yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, that means we're in stage tr- uh, stage two, uh, right? The truth uh, goes through three stages. Uh, first, it is ridiculed. Secondly, it is violently opposed, and third, finally, it is accepted as self-evident. So we're two thirds of the way home, and uh, in part thanks to uh, filmmakers like yourself. Is this slated for wide release, Christopher? Well, uh, that's what we're hoping. We just the the sort of the way um, uh, it, it it works with smaller independent films is you you make the film and then you try to get into big festivals like this one, and then um, lots of sort of uh, film distributors are here. So um, and we'll be playing. We're just starting our festival run now. So we'll be at this festival. We'll be at one in Spain very soon, and then we may be at um, quite a few more after that. And um, so that goes on for a few months, and then throughout that process. The people who are interested in the film and uh, believe in it um, hopefully pick it up, they buy it, and then they say they are going to release it widely in theaters. So um, at this point, your guess is as good as mine, but it uh, it looks very possible that uh, in one form or another it's going to be uh, uh, released uh, so that everyone can see it very soon. Well, I have a sneaking suspicion, uh, Chris. It's going to be very well received in places like Spain. Uh, they, not to overly generalize, but... Outside the, um, the, uh, the 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 media firewall that surrounds North America, uh, I find people are far more receptive to these sorts of ideas. You only need a casual glance at the uh, the foreign press uh, to realize that. 
um, you know, that they are, they are open not only to, to, uh, discussing, uh, conspiracies and cover-ups and, and, uh, assassinations and the, the hidden, the hidden actions, uh, behind the, uh, the hidden meanings behind the actions of world leaders, but also the whole UFO, uh, a topic, which is an entirely different field, but they are just generally more open to discussing these things. So I think it's going to do very well in places like Spain. So, uh, so good luck to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, and, I, and I and I agree with your assessment. I think uh, when you get outside the uh, North American sort of media bubble a little bit, there is a, a slight bit of more open-mindedness, definitely. Now, is that featured at all in your in your film? Uh, the this this firewall, uh, this um, let's say let's let's call call it for what it is: the complicity of the mainstream media in keeping a lid on on some of these things. It absolutely is. Um, I, I'll try to figure out how to explain this without giving the ending of the film away to your listeners. But um, there's one idea that was really important to me with the film is that it's hard to trust the messenger. You know that you know how do we news is not really news anymore. You know you you watch Fox News, you watch MSNBC. You know like is this really news anymore? It's 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 people controlling the message and. Uh, and so, uh, without giving too much away, um, you're, you, throughout the whole film, you're meant to believe this is a documentary film that's been made about this subject, but then there's a big twist, and you realize that it's very possible that the very people that we have been investigating in the film have taken over the film and um, are trying to manipulate um, the viewer's thoughts. So it's sort of, um, it's a device in literature uh, that they call an unreliable narrator, so um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to visualize without seeing the film, but basically, um, it plays into the idea that you should not trust anyone, uh, uh, one source of information. You should always try to look into it yourself. And, uh, and that even includes the fictional film within a film that I'm making. Yeah, that, I, I love that. I mean, not even having seen the film, I'm, uh, I love that device. You have a film within a film, and then, as you say, this unreliable narrator. The narrator, of course, is omniscient. Uh, right? Uh, he, he's like authority, and exactly. yet he's unreliable, and that's a wonderful metaphor for <laughs> what's going on in the, in the media. Exactly, yes. Christopher, thank you so much for your time. Thank appreciate you very much it. for having me on. I really appreciate it, Richard. Christopher McBride, a Toronto-based writer, director, filmmaker, and uh, a feature film called The Conspiracy, a fictionalized version of uh, really much of what we talk about on this very program and hopefully coming to a theater near you. I think we should all get out and, and, and support it because um, uh, this is one way of delivering the message uh, disguised as fiction. Sometimes that's the way you have to do it. The other way, of course, is uh, to put it in comic book form, which is what my next guest uh, has done, and uh, he'll be joining us momentarily. Greg Pallast is... Uh, now, case in point, here's a... Um, a New York-based reporter who's really in exile in his own country because he can't get really published in, uh, you know, the uh, the news organs in uh, the United States. Uh, you're more likely to read him in places like The Guardian, uh, you know, where he wins all sorts of awards for his reportage in the UK. But again, in here in North America, uh, he's seen as uh, I don't know, a subversive, as a conspiracy theorist, perhaps. And he's now set his eyes on um, the election process in a new book, in comic book form, as I say, called Billionaires 
and ballot bandits, how to steal an election in nine easy steps. And we're going to talk to him uh, in just a few moments. Uh, I can't wait to have this discussion with him. He's talking about massive voting tampering. You will not believe the numbers he's going to throw at you, the statistics. Going back to 2008, how many ballots were cast and never counted. How many voters were basically chased out of the ballot booth, told to get lost. Just a quick uh, question. And, and what do you think? What do you think these voters that were disenfranchised were? We'll find out. Greg Palast on the other side. On the Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serra. Don't you dare go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. A little earlier I was uh, uh, telling you about conspiracy theorists. Uh, that's what they call them now. Uh, once upon a time we used to call them investigative journalists, but I've got an actual investigative journalist on with me right now. Uh, this is what the Chicago Tribune uh, said about Greg Palast. He's exactly what a journalist is supposed to be, a truth hound. Doggedly independent, undaunted by power, his stories bite. They're so relevant, they threaten to alter history. And uh, Noam Chomsky, I'm sure many of you listening are fans of Noam Chomsky. He said this, Greg Palast upsets all the right people. His new book uh, is actually uh, based on the investigations uh, of himself and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for Rolling Stone magazine. And it's called Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, How to Steal an Election in Nine Easy Steps. Greg Palast, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, pretty tired. <laughs> yeah, investigative reporting can be quite exhausting. Uh, but uh, I'm, just, uh, I'm here on the, uh, uh, in San Francisco. Just, uh, so how's it going in, uh, in your end of the uh, well, regime? Well, we're sitting back and, and, uh, and watching uh, the electoral process unravel, I suppose, <laughs> down there. Uh, okay. Interesting that you put this in comic book form. Now, I'm not sure if that's a uh, – I mean, it's, it's clever, but is that, is that maybe more of a sad commentary on how you have well, to deliver I'm the message? Break, you know, I'm trying to break through the electronic Berlin Wall in America. Remember, I, I was just on, uh, on uh, your CBC television prime time and I report for BBC television prime time news night all over the world but in the US you know as you know when you try to break through uh, the the, uh, the sound barrier the information barrier in the US it uh, you're you're doomed so I've had to go to Canada I've had to go to uh, uh, move to Britain to report the news about my own country. Yeah, you're in exile in New York. Yeah, so I, I now I've now gone back to New York, but still to get my stuff uh, through the media um, through uh, through the embargo of information. I try every stupid trick I can. So billionaires and ballot bandits has a 50 page comic book in the middle, and um, and then uh, you know and, and so. And I try to write it in a way that's entertaining and, and humorous so mm. that, you know, you won't burst into tears reading this stuff or just, you know, hide under the cover. It is a divine comedy, isn't it? Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. the way you have to tell it. It's true. I was just speaking yeah. to a filmmaker, and he's, you know, trying to get the message out in a, in a fictionalized film using allegory. So uh, why not a comic book? Let me, let's, let's set the table here. Let's go back to 2008. And because you lay out some pretty 
uh, frightening statistics. First of yeah. all, you mentioned that uh, how many ballots were cast in 2008 that were not uh, – or, or, sorry, there were no cast fewer than ballots that were cast and never counted. In the USA, the um, the cradle of democracy, which is now becoming its grave, is 2.7 million ballots. That's the official number, by the way. I don't make this – Greg Palace doesn't come up with this stuff off his black helicopter. The official word is that 2.7 million – um, ballots were cast and never counted in the U.S. In addition, three point, at least 3.2 million people, citizens, American citizens, legal voters, were uh, removed from voter rolls in America um, and or re, uh, re- kicked out of uh, polling stations for various cockamamie reasons. We have a, you know, we play games in the U.S. to knock out voters. It's, uh, but it's not just any voters, and that's the evil. So you have 5.9 million votes and voters tossed, tossed and, out. And keep in mind, I, you know, under the U.S. weird electoral system, the presidency of the United States in 2000 was decided by 537 votes. 537 votes. And in Florida alone, um, for those who know Greg Palace, I'm the one who figured out how they removed tens of thousands of black people off the voter rolls of Florida. So that certainly was accounted for your 500 bo- votes right. that elected George Bush. And then we had thanks James to Catherine Harris in part, who also uh, yeah. loves you. She calls you twisted and maniacal. Well, she's kind of correct, but <laughs> she's never. I, I didn't. You know, that's that's true, but she never said I was wrong. <laughs> facts. She complained to Harper's Magazine. I was twisted maniacal, but I, you know, yeah, I mean, I have to twist and I have to follow her around. Uh, so, the, the, but the problem is Catherine Harris is like Thomas Jefferson compared to what we have now. We have, um, you know, uh, and, and that's the problem we have. While 5.9 million votes of voters were trashed, according to official figures, in 2008, double that in this year's election. So, you know, I know that people are laughing at Mitt Romney because he's, he's swallowing his own grenades on a constant basis, right? And uh, he, <laughs> he's done everything but, but hit his caddy with the golf club, right? Uh, and, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of what will actually happen in November in the U.S. Okay, exactly. just hold on, Greg. We'll, we'll take a time out when we come back. Let's find out. Because, you know, uh, even a casual observer looking at what's going on down there is, is thinking, okay, the incumbent is going to take this in a, in, a, in a cakewalk. But let's find out what might be in store. Billionaires and ballot bandits, how to steal an election in nine easy steps. Greg Palast on the line, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Greg Palast is with us, the author of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, an investigator of corporate fraud and racketeering. Greg, we should point out that a lot of these statistics about uh, purged voters and destroyed ballots, this comes from the Election Assistance Commission. I mean, as you say, you you didn't make these things up. This comes from an official body, the Election Assistance Commission. It's out there for anybody to see, but nobody's talking about it. All these pundits masquerading as journalists are talking about voter fraud, but they're not talking about who's really behind the scenes purging these voters and so forth. What is this Bill of Goods voter fraud? Yeah, well, yeah, well, as the great investigative reporter Yogi Berra once said, uh, you know, it's amazing what you could see when you're looking. (laughs) Um, But we don't have reporters in America, we have repeaters. 
And one thing that they're repeating is the line that there's fraudulent voters out there. Yeah, there's a lot of voter fraud caused by the guys who run the voting system, by the billionaires um, who are stealing the ballots. But individual voters in America don't vote illegally. And because it's really easy to get caught, you do go to prison every single time. In fact... Um, statistically, and I actually did the calculation, I used to teach statistics, it was um, the chance you'll be hit by lightning is 60 times more probable than that you will commit uh, voter fraud, you know, vote, which basically what they mean is like taking someone else's ID and voting for them. Like we had like 10 nuns who were stopped from voting in Indiana because they didn't have the right ID. Obviously, they had stolen their habits and try to pretend that they were these uh, nuns. Um, there were ten of them. They went, they, uh, huh? um, the, uh, uh, so that there were ten, uh, they ran from ages 88 to 98, and they didn't have their driver's licenses, which is a good thing. Right, agreed. But they were barred from voting. But uh, And then that case went to the Supreme Court. And the main thing is, while they were wearing black habits, uh, the other voters knocked out in Indiana for not having ID, for supposedly being fraudulent voters, were 87,000 people, almost all of them African-American. Right, right. There is a surprise. It. In the U.S., very few Americans have passports. Uh, the Only the poor don't have driver's licenses, and that tends to be the black and Latino voters. So um, it went to the Supreme Court. We have a uh, Justice Scalia as he mispronounces his Italian name. Can't even get that right. Um, and Scalia, when uh, it's, a, you know, it's against the U.S. Constitution to have a voting restriction which affects black people more than white people, it's you know, very clear you can't do that. Yeah, we were, I thought we already won that one. Yeah, we, already, we had a civil war in America, if you remember, and then we had the Martin Luther King and the Voting Rights Act uh, by Bobby Kennedy, my co-author's uh, father. And which is why he's so shaken up about it. But it went to the Supreme Court, and Scalia said, uh, um, well, whether you're, you know, when he was told that it's, you know, 17 miles to a, uh, on average, to a government office to get a non driver um, ID in Indiana, and 17 miles, he said, well, 17 miles is 17 miles whether you're black or white. Now, I think what he meant by that, because being an investigative reporter, you'll see in Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, we actually checked it out. He, Scalia, drives a black BMW, so he's got a black Beamer. So 17 miles for him is about 15 minutes. I know that because he, he's speeding. That's how I found out what type of Beamer he has. <laughs> uh, he does. He's got a speeding ticket. And so I think what he meant was, whether you have a black Beamer ah, or a white BMW, that must have been it. Really yeah. doesn't matter. That must have been it. miles is like it's no big deal. But right? but you you pointed out that over 22 million people have been purged from the voter rolls in the last two years. 22 million. Is that a problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only if you care about well, my yeah. 22 million. How do they do that? Uh, Who's doing it? Who's okay, doing this? They have they have um well there's the, the answer is there's two words here. Data Trust and Themis. And since this is the conspiracy show, you'll love this. Um, and by the way, I'm not a conspiracy nut, as I'm often called on US TV. I'm a conspiracy expert. Uh, believe it or not, I actually was a conspiracy, the conspiracy expert for the United States Justice Department on racketeering cases. To bring a racketeering case, you have to prove conspiracy. So I was the government's conspiracy expert. So I, I'm, I'm officially re- registered. <laughs> 
There you <laughs> and, go. Yeah. Um, it's so a real word and it exists. Month. Okay, huh? sorry. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's so a... I, yeah, that was my job. So um the um uh, Carl Rove, otherwise called uh, who George Bush gave the uh uh odiferous um, nickname Turd Blossom. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Blossom. <laughs> it's true. Mr. Blossom um has created a massive data mining operation called Data Trust. The Koch brothers, David and Charles, have created another massive data mining operation called Themis. Themis. Now, and then a guy, a third guy, because they were kind of in competition, Turd Blossom and, and the Kochs, the Koch Blossoms. Um, and so uh, a third guy, Paul the Vulture Singer, and again, I didn't, I don't give him the name the Vulture. If you may, uh, may remember him from Vulture's Picnic, um, he's now the, the lead donor for Mitt Romney. So he put uh, um, Turd Blossom and the Cokes together. So you have Data Trust and Themis kind of working in coordination. What that is, it basically is a database which would make the uh, FBI green with envy. It you know, knows uh, when you sneeze. And they use this information to use every oddity of the law and then sometimes uh, way beyond the law to wipe out voters off the voter rolls. They who are incredible, who, brilliant, sick tricks, though Bobby Kennedy, who is a, the dean of the law school at the, in the New York at Pace, he uh, says this is something you go to jail for. But they're not in jail. Now, now the, uh, ostensibly, then, I guess they're trying to remove those voters, most likely in this case, to vote for Barack Obama. Yes, and so one or and and by the way, in the U.S., they're very very concerned about seizing control of the Senate. Which I, that's the other thing. That while people are saying, ah, they're not going to steal the election, well, they may not be able to seize the White House um, if Romney, you know, keeps up this, uh, you know, his mad, his crashing his golf cart. But if, uh, but that doesn't mean that they won't steal the Senate. In fact, the University of Minnesota, this is kind of a dull statistics, but I think it's an important one, has said that these various tricks of uh, vote manipulation have cost uh, the Democrats seven seats in the U.S. Senate. So it's very likely that they can use this, these tricks to, uh, to pull off control of the Senate. Then they'll have the Senate, the Congress, the Supreme Court. Then it doesn't matter... Um, who's in the White House? Because they'll basically be um, under siege. <laughs> you know, they'll be cut off. I mean, they'll, you know, they, they might as well just, you know, put a picket fence around and uh, and that's it. He's under. Basically, the president will be under house arrest if this continues at this pace. So, what's happened is, how do they do it? How you know? How so? You got a database. What does that do for you? Um, for example, when um, I uncovered how Catherine Harris use databases to uh, uh, data mining to uncover uh, she found, she said felons, illegal voters in Florida, not in most of America, but just in Florida and two other uh, old southern states ex-cons can't vote so she said that there were um, 94,000 ex-cons voting in Florida which is a hell of a kind of crime wave of criminals because you, you go back to jail for that so that that a lot of people taking a chance um there weren't <laughs> we actually went through with the attorney general himself the guy who would arrest these people that there were no that there wasn't a single not one six possible out of ninety four thousand illegal voters but none of them uh in the end proved true 
all innocent, but they were all guilty of voting while black. Now, we don't, we're not guessing that they were black, because next to their names it says B-L-A for black, uh, which is by law. Okay, um, and so the, the more primitive and early data mining was able to zoom in on BLA voters and come up with, um, for example, um, a uh, Willie Steen, who was a Gulf War veteran, never had a traffic ticket. He was uh, barred from voting in 2000 by Catherine Harris because his name matched with a guy who was convicted in the state of, Ohio, of another state named Willie Osteen, like an Irish name with a O and apostrophe, uh, a white guy. So a, a white guy named uh, Osteen knocked out Willie Steen, the black guy of Florida. But they used an algorithm to say that this was how Willie Steen, hit, how the criminal uh, hid himself by transforming his name. Now, is this over with? No, they've gotten quite a bit better at it. Uh, and so, for example, in the state of Florida, they have tens of thousands of people who have been wiped out on this. And again, remember, Obama won Florida the last time by just a few thousand votes. Well, I was going to ask you this very quickly, Greg. If mm-hmm. if this same process was in place, maybe a more, a more crude uh, methodology was being used, but if it was in place in 2008, why did the Democrats win the White House? Well, like I said, there were 5.9 million votes, and Obama, it was a, a tidal wave. Plus, don't forget the other side of the book. The book is called Billionaires and Ballot Bandits. Those billionaires supported Obama or stayed out of the race. For example, Dan Loeb, a very creepy guy, uh, a billionaire who con- took control of Yahoo. Um, and um, he, he was a big supporter of Obama. Obama got supported by billionaires like Penny Pritzker. You'll find her in the book. Uh, she's a banking criminal. I mean, um, you know, Willie Sutton had nothing on her. She uh, ran a bank called Superior Bank. Um, she was personally fined $400 million. Now, that would put a dent in my checkbook, but for her it was nothing because she was worth $3 billion. Um, but she looted, she looted a bank and uh, victimized a lot of poor black people in Barack Obama's district. So she decided that um, to take Barry Obama, turn him into Barack Obama, and make him a U.S. senator, then president. She's the one who introduced him to the banking chiefs So of uh, Robert Rubin and... Um, um, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. So Obama had all these financiers and billionaires in 2008. And even the Republicans still stole about 6 million votes, but it didn't matter because in the end the money and the machine was, um, you know, with uh, hope and change. But I hear what you're saying, Greg, but to me then it sounds like, well, Okay, so they're stealing the election, but you know, who are they stealing it for? You know, it's either, what, right. what are my choices? I, this crook... Under the Republican banner, who's supported by uh, ballot bandits and billionaires, or this crook, who may be slightly less slimy than this crook. What's the difference then? Well, you know, every, you know, it was Jimmy Carter who said Americans deserve a president as good as they are. And and unfortunately, that's what we've gotten. And, um, And, yeah, every four years we get to choose our nightmare. But I still don't want some billionaire bastard taking my choice away, no matter how grim it may be. So to me, I wrote Billionaires and Ballot Bandits not because I want Obama to be reelected. I don't care about Democrats. Democracy is my issue, and I do feel that, that movements have been very powerful as we've built an electoral base, and then finally, once in a while, we get someone who might actually do something. But so to me, it's not, the can- it's not about the candidates. It's about saving what's left the process, of right. the images of democracy in America. And that's, you know, 
um, because the rest of the world pays. When you have a, a, an electoral coup d'état, like George Bush stole the election, clearly, as I, you know, as I laid out in 2000, and then and he did it again in 2004. And by the way, unlike Al Gore, who, who hates me, who says, we hate that SOB, uh, Al Gore hates me for you know, saying, why didn't you stand up when you had the proof? Uh, and but his uh, in 2004, uh, Senator John Kerry lost and cited my research as proving that he had won. So, not everyone goes to. But he went to the mat at first, which is a shame. Yes, yes. And and that's because Al Gore, he noticed, is worth over 100 billion dollars. The boy got taken care of. The boy got taken care of. Oh yeah. Kerry knew that he'd be taken care of, but then he felt there's no question. Ted Kennedy grabbed him and said, "It's not about you. It's about." a million black people who lost their vote. Greg, I got to cut it there because we're out of time. Yeah. But again, let's uh, let's get the word out. Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, How to Steal an Election in Nine Easy Steps, Amazon.com, I'm guessing? Amazon and the usual suspects. All right, go give them hell, Greg. Catch you later. Thank you, Greg Pallast. All right. You can uh, check out my website for upcoming shows, www.richardserrett.com. 